Have y'all noticed there's a real spy renaissance going on lately? There are spy movies coming out, TV shows, museums, just a whole renewed interest in government spooks. Maybe it's all the Russia stuff going on and talk about clandestine operations sponsored by foreign governments. But regardless, spies are definitely cool again. There's even a movie coming out today, Red Sparrow, featuring Jennifer Lawrence, that's based on a book by a former CIA operative. That operative, Jason Matthews, served for 33 years and also called into this episode to teach us the secrets of spying. In our humble opinion, it's one of the coolest interviews we've ever done. Also on this episode, we visit the brand new Spyscape Museum in Midtown Manhattan with its chief of staff, Shelby Pritchard, and figure out what kind of spies we'd be. After that, we try out some crazy secret agent tactics from former CIA officer Jason Hansen's new book, Survive Like a Spy. You see what I mean? It's everywhere. Want a quick taste of Hansen's new book? If your international espionage requires you to stash valuables in a hotel, try stuffing it up the bath spout and then packing it with toilet paper so whatever you put in there doesn't fall out. An even more secure trick is to pry the ends off your shower curtain rod, then stash your nuclear fission recipe or diamonds or whatever you're tasked with protecting inside. No one will ever think to look there. You might want to fix yourself a special martini for this episode, y'all. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler, and the most useful podcast ever is Going Undercover. We have on the phone Jason Matthews, who was a member of the CIA for 33 years and wrote a book called Red Sparrow that is now going to be a movie starring Jennifer Lawrence, which is out March 2nd. Thank you for talking to us, Jason. My pleasure. So first question, how does a person go from being a spy to being a writer? Do they allow that? Sure they do. Although I've written three books and every single one of the books had to be passed by the Publication Review Board of CIA. They had to review the whole manuscript. Once you've been in the agency, that's the rule for the rest of your life? That's right. Just so we don't inadvertently reveal sources and methods. Are you allowed to say what you did at the CIA? Like what sort of role you had? Sure. Both of my wife, Suzanne, and I were in the operations directorate. We lived overseas, mostly undercover as State Department officers in the U.S. embassies. We were almost like clandestine journalists. We found people with access to secrets, and we stole secrets for the U.S. government. Did you have to try to find people that you could turn to help give you these secrets? Absolutely. Uh, the name of the game is recruiting what we called agents. I mean, how do you figure out somebody's weakness to turn them? You just have to learn a lot about them, find That's the right. best thing? It's a lot like journalism. You know, a journalist has to find a source and develop the source and establish a friendship with the source and then later on protect the source. Right. So how long does somebody train to do the kind of thing that you did? You're always learning. The job, the career is very experiential. The longer you do it, the more adept you get at it. Okay. How long were you overseas, the whole 33 years? With occasional stays back in Washington. So you mentioned that you and your wife were officers at U.S. embassies, right? Yes. Does that mean that the Russian embassy here is filled with KGB agents or whatever the new <laughs> KGB is? Absolutely filled to the brim. And we all know that and every country knows this in countries with embassies. That's right. So huh. we just give them an office for their spies. <laughs> well, it's better than having them roaming around. <laughs> right. Well, for instance, the Russian Federation will say that X number of diplomats are coming next summer, and then it's the FBI and the CIA's job to figure out which one of them are the spooks. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then do you just follow those people the entire time? Is, is that someone's job, just to follow the different spies from other countries? That would be the FBI, but they don't do it like they do it in Moscow, which sometimes is 24-hour surveillance. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That sounds exhausting. Were you and your wife followed? All the time. Whoa. 
Did you guys use the kind of stuff like the James Bond kind of stuff? Well, yeah. I mean, the accoutrements of the career are basically to help us what we call impersonal communications. In other words, if I'm in Moscow and I have a Russian who's telling me secrets, the more often that I'm with him, close to him, the more dangerous it is. So we leave drops for one another where she can casually and unobtrusively pass by it and pick up a drop. And did you ever run into somebody else who just accidentally pick up your drop, whether that was the garbage collector or just a curious homeless person? Well, that's one of the vulnerabilities of the dead drop. It's got to be disguised. There are lots of techniques. We had a ground spike, which was a hollow pointed spike that you push down into a planter of earth. They used to freeze dried rat carcasses and open up a little compartment inside the rat carcass and you could put film cassettes in it and no one would pick up a dead rat. That is amazing. <laughs> wow, that's like, the, that's so cool. We're doing a surveillance operation on each other for this episode. Do you have any recommendations for surveilling? Surveillance is, you know, part art form, part voodoo. <laughs> in the Soviet Union, in the old days, they could have something like 20 cars on you, and you'd never see the same car twice, and it would be very hard to detect surveillance. That's wow. amazing. One of the scenes in the movie I saw a couple weeks ago and really enjoyed, the guy gets a secret message, takes the message over the phone, writes down the code on a thin sheet of paper, wraps it around a pencil, and where the letters line up is where he gets his message based on the diameter of the pencil. Is that something that you actually used, or is that just something they came up with for the movie? That is a variation of what they call a one-time pad. A one-time pad is a pad of paper that's got all different numbers on it, and when you match it against a key, it gives you the actual message. These days, it's a lot more modern, and we have encrypted burst transmitters and stuff like that. When you had agents, how would they get in touch with you? In places like Moscow, all the incoming phone lines were tapped. So you had to figure out how would you make an appointment with an agent to meet at, you know, behind the soccer stadium at midnight. How do you make those appointments? How do you make those appointments? <laughs> well, it's got to be prearranged, and you have to have every second Tuesday of an odd-numbered month. Wow. Right, like an ongoing sort of yeah. situation. For instance, when my wife Suzanne and I were riding in a car and surveillance was behind us, I'd go around the corner and the three seconds you're out of sight of surveillance because you just rounded a corner is called the gap. Mm -hmm. And many this dark and stormy night that Suzanne would bail out of the car and I continue on oh, wow. uh, drawing surveillance away. And she would go across country in Eastern European city to meet an asset. And so that's amazing. I sometimes joke that you were at, at the mall and she's always rolling out of the car. I have to stop. <laughs> <laughs> did you guys meet as spies or did you were you together and then join the CIA together? We met during our first tour. We were both single and we dated for one tour and we got married in, in our second tour. And is that something that the CIA was excited about? You know, now we have this couple that we can send into the field. Absolutely. They like that. It's better security and you don't have to bring someone that's sort of untrained into the mix. Right. In your training, is it like the movies? Did you learn how to, like, kill people with your bare hands and, you know, scale walls and do backflips and all that, you know, code break <laughs> in six different languages? I mean, is it that intense? 
no, it's not, really not. It, it's, <laughs> it's clandestine journalism. You're trained on how to write reports with uh, objectivity, and you're trained to spot surveillance and do surveillance detection runs, and maybe operate a couple of little gadgets. CIA officers, despite what Hollywood writes, they don't carry weapons. Uh -oh. And the most dangerous thing I've ever done is drive on the 405 freeway in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> me too, man, me too. So wait, being as we are journalists, are there a lot of journalists that go on to become CIA agents or vice versa? No, I, I would say not. And <laughs> we can't use journalists as access agents by regulation. Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. By uh, U.S. government regulation. Yes. Do you think it's less fun to be a spy now? Yeah, you guys Sounds like the me, golden age yeah, of spying. You guys were there in the heyday. Well, certainly the Cold War gave us sort of focus and purpose. It's a lot different now with face recognition software and computerized right. border crossing records. For instance, if you live in France and you go to Germany in alias, you could never go back to Germany in true name because they'll see the disparity in the records. Yeah. Did you ever wear disguises? Sure, you sometimes wear disguises, but it's not like Mission Impossible with a full face mask. <laughs> right. But maybe a fake beard or different it's a color hair. Thick on mustache uh, and maybe a wig. Right. Wow. Wait, I have one serious, very important question. How do you take your martinis? Shaking that stir. <laughs> That's good. So where did you get the idea for Red Sparrow? I mean, that is based on some real schools. Was that during the era that you were a spy? Well, in the Soviet Union in the 60s and the 70s, in a regional capital called Kazan in Soviet Tartistan, they had an academy that taught young women the art of seduction and elicitation and sexpionage, basically. Wow. And, I love that um, there's a word for that. <laughs> So they train women to compromise either visiting businessmen or vulnerable diplomats. But I don't think they have a sparrow school anymore. That was basically during the clunky Soviet days. Right now, I think most of that work is done by independent contractors in Moscow. Well, this is amazing. This is yeah. one of the most interesting interviews I think we've ever done for this podcast. So <laughs> I'm seriously fascinated over here. So thank you so much for talking to us. Yeah. And the movie's great. And it comes out, well, this this will come out right before the movie does, right? It will. Uh, same day, I think. Yes. The book is Kremlin's Candidate. It comes out, uh, I think, the second week in February. And the movie is on 2 March. The Kremlin's Candidate is the next book in the series? Yes. Oh, amazing. So if you want to get a head start on the next book, you can grab that <laughs> before you see the first one. But definitely check them all out. And thank you so much to Jason Matthews for talking to us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to talk to you guys. So we're at Spyscape right now because it's Spy Week here at the Most Useful Podcast Ever with Shelby Pritchard, who is the Chief of Staff here at Spyscape. Thanks for coming this early in the morning. <laughs> no, thanks for coming. We're happy to have you guys. Cool. So where'd you say we're going? So we are going to start with our briefing, which is the first part of the experience at Spyscape. Okay. So it introduces you to the world of espionage, tells you that spying isn't something that's just for you know intelligence agencies today. It's something that corporations, investigative journalists, uh -huh. you and me, we all do. Yeah. Really, that's one of the things that we really talk about at Spyscape. It, you know, is both telling you kind of you know, historical stories about espionage, but it's also really showing you how each of us have these different types of spy skills and how you use them in your day-to-day -day life, maybe without even knowing it. So uh, when did this open? Oh, 
week and a half ago on the 16th, I believe. So, so new. Yes. It's and a- why open a spy museum in the middle of Manhattan? Well, I mean, part of it is really a recognition that spying is something that everybody's interested in, you know, whether it's Bond or Born or keeping up with the daily news. People are always interested in the world of secret intelligence. And, you know, there's also this kind of move toward um, destination-based entertainment. And we wanted to combine these things in a way that was kind of uniquely entertaining and educating and could help empower people, too. So we're now on the first floor. Mostly this area is ticketing. So you you come in and you get an identity band when you start your experience. Okay. And this identity band we use to collect data as you go throughout the space. So we have a number of spy challenges you can take that range from lie detection and interrogation booths to agility and special ops laser tunnels. Oh my god. (laughs) Laser tunnels. This is amazing. Yeah. So um, we also have a spy bookshop. Our collection was actually curated by spies. So it's, you know, spy books selected by spies and hackers and folks in the intelligence agencies. But also has a number of rare and first edition novels too. Oh, cool. Yeah. Complete first edition set of Ian Fleming, for example. Wow. can come get your uh, Bond fix here, too. Amazing. Yeah. Cool. So, so what shall we go? go into our briefing? Yes, let's do it. All right. So now we're in, like, this little room <laughs> that's got screens that have little white globes on them. Welcome to Spyscape and to your briefing. Today, you will be introduced to the world of espionage and intelligence. We will build a profile of you and discover what sort of spy you'd be. It's time to see yourself and others from a spy's point of view. The identity band on your wrist is unique. It will help us to assess your skills and determine what kind of spy you'd be. Now, get ready to look at the world of spying as closely as it looks at you. So now we have walked out of our briefing. So these identity bands, what we're going to do with them is as you go through the space, you're going to hit a series of spy challenges. Okay. And that oh, ranges God. from the uh, <laughs> you know, laser tunnels to the interrogation booth. <laughs> okay. Oh, yes. There is there is a lot of participation in okay. spy And you also are going to notice these question stations throughout the space. And at these, we test your personality, your IQ, and your risk tolerance. Oh, wow. And then the data from both those and the spy challenges combine so that at the end of the experience, we tell you what kind of a spy you'd be. Okay. And so we worked with the former head of training for British intelligence and leading industrial psychologists to develop this, you know, proprietary spy profiling system. Wow. So it's actually like a super legitimate way that like look at how the spy world thinks about what it takes to be a spy. And when you say like what kind of spy, like should I not know yet what the options are? Well, you'll see as you go throughout the space. So as we go through the seven different galleries, each one's themed on a different aspect of espionage, you know, ranging from topics like encryption and surveillance to hacking and cyber warfare. And in each of those, we tell you historical stories about real spies, each of which embodies the different types of spies that okay. you know, ultimately we'll tell you you could be. So, okay. you know, folks from hackers to code breakers to you know, special ops agents. So, okay. you know, I'm going to say that I'm a not good a very good hacker. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> you have to be very good at math to be, uh, to be on the hacker knowing, continuum. Yeah, knowing how you interact with the computer, <laughs> I'm going to say now. Yeah. Okay, so what should I do here? So if you want to start and test out one of the personality tests, that'll be the first one that comes up. Okay. You can just swipe in. So we have these okay. RFID readers that your identity Hello, band recruit. That's what is used for. <laughs> I finish things despite, this is like a psych yeah. test kind of. 
any of the stations throughout the space. You can play any of the games. There are 12 okay. of them. Cool. So we're now entering our first gallery, which is on encryption. Okay. This gallery, we tell the story about code breaking during World War II. This is an actual Enigma machine. Oh, cool. Yes. There were about 25,000 Enigma machines that the German military used around World War II. And there are only, you know, a few hundred left intact today. So it's a really special oh, artifact. That's cool. So... In most of the galleries, you know, we've told you a historical story, and then you get to try your hand at whatever that spy skill is. So okay. in our encryption gallery, you now get to try your hand at encrypting and decrypting messages. Oh, God, this is going to be So <laughs> we judge based on how quickly and how accurately you can encrypt and decrypt messages that oh, you're God. sending to an agent out in the field. So now we tell you kind of how far you are in your progress with okay. all of the different profiling steps in the space. Cool. And one other thing that I'll point out too, even though we've been telling you a story about World War II, we always bring every gallery into the current day. So here we have um, what we call these takeaway screens that we tell you about how encryption is relevant to your life today. Ooh, deception. I feel like I'll be good mm, at this one. Yes. So now we are in our deception gallery. And the main story we tell here is about Robert Hansen, who's one of the most notorious FBI moles in history. Uh -huh. He uh, worked for the FBI for about 22 years and was spying for the Russians the entire time. And he got caught only five weeks before his planned retirement. So. Wow. Uh, but we have a few pretty fun artifacts here. We have a series of lie detectors from our collection from over time. So we have one from the 1950s, one from the 80s, and then one from today. And I love how the one today is it's just a, a laptop. It's a laptop. <laughs> um, a laptop. This one from the 80s looks amazing. Isn't it's that like really cool? Gold. It looks like It like looks like the 80s. the 80s. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So we are now to our deception challenge. Okay. These are a series of interrogation booths where you're going to get to learn the art and science of lying. Oh, wow. So um, you actually go in and we use facial recognition technology. We take your pulse. Oh, my God. Um, we monitor your voice. And we ask you to uh, say a couple of things that are true and then some things that are lies. Okay. And then we play back to you ways that we can tell that you're lying, you know, different signs. And okay. then you apply what you've learned to watching a video of an interrogation and see if you can see, you know, when someone li is lying or not. Okay. It's pretty fun. <laughs> you hear Kevin in there. Great work. <laughs> I wonder how he did. Yeah, we're going to find out. I got four on four. Oh, yeah, <laughs> me too. Did you get any lying signs? Smiling and blinking. Smiling uh, and blinking. Jackie didn't get any at all. None? None. <laughs> it's us awesome. Watch, watch out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, so we are now entering our surveillance, surveillance. gallery. This is my favorite gallery. Oh, this is so cool. On the lower level, we have our content stories. So we talk about government surveillance, and naturally Edward Snowden is uh -huh. our key character. We also talk about corporate surveillance, and you know, as much as the NSA knows about you, companies like Google and Facebook and Amazon also know quite a bit. Um, and then I'll also point out here, because I think this is a good example of what we're trying to do at Spicecape, we just talk about how non-spies use spy skills in their daily lives. Okay. So we tell a story about four AP journalists who use surveillance tactics to bring attention to slavery in the fishing industry in Southeast Asia, and uh, caused enough outrage that the men ended up getting freed. So, you know, a super empowering story about how spy skills can be put to good use. That's awesome. It's very cool. Yeah, yeah. And we have uh, their Pulitzer Prize on oh, display, cool. which is awesome. Tremendous women who did some really great reporting and made a real impact in some people's lives. Wow. So we're now heading into our hacking gallery. So our main character in this gallery is actually near and dear to our hearts because he actually works for Spicecape now. Oh. This guy, Jake Davis, who joined Anonymous when he was 18 and uh, formed that splinter group Lulsec, mm -hmm. um, which you know did a bunch of stupid stuff like hack the CIA's website. Right. So Jake did spend a short amount of time in prison, but he is 
now what they call a white hat hacker. Uh -huh. So he you know, helps companies patch up vulnerabilities, gives teens talks on ethical hacking, works at Spicecape, you know, all of these good uh -huh. things. What does he do for Spicecape? He helped to curate this gallery. One example is this uh, art display here you see of a series of anonymous masks, uh -huh. which on the front, you know, looks like a really cool art display, you know, infinity mirrors, yep. it looks great. On the back of the masks, you'll notice that they've all been signed by actual anonymous hackers. So Jake went around to, you know, conferences and places and got his buddies to sign these with their aliases. Cool. Yeah. Now we're getting into cyber warfare. Uh -huh. So we talk about, you know, different organized hacker groups over here. And uh, on this screen, we actually will update kind of in real time as there are major organized hacks happening. And, you know, I also would point out, too, that we have a wall on how to protect yourself. So we're very cognizant of making sure you have an empowering experience at Spicecape. So we give you tips on things that you can do to make sure that you stay safe online. Yeah, I will say, uh, since working here, I have stopped getting onto coffee shop Wi-Fi. Oh. <laughs> okay, so we are now at our special ops challenge, Ooh, which I, I think is uh, <laughs> probably our most fun challenge at Spicecape. Yeah. So it is a laser tunnel where you are going to have to hit a series of lit buttons on both walls um, as quickly as you can. The you know, point of the game is to hit as many lit buttons as possible and avoid the lasers. If you trip a laser, you would deduct time. So Okay. So this is like uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones in that movie where oh, she goes yeah. out of the... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Enter tunnel. Okay, now. Good luck, Jackie. Okay, <laughs> oh, this looks fun. Congratulations. 127. Not too bad. Yo, that's so fun. You did really good. I'm <laughs> yes. impressed. A 127? 97. Nice. So we're now in our special ops gallery. Okay. And this is where you actually finally get to meet Virginia Hall, who is, I think, one of the most amazing spies that we have featured here. She was an American that was working during World War II, wanted to join the Foreign Service, but wasn't accepted into it because she'd lost part of her leg in a hunting accident. But, you know, she wanted to be part of the resistance effort during the war, so she went over to France as the war was breaking out and uh, ended up getting recruited by both the British and then later the Americans to help run resistance rings behind enemy lines in so occupied cool. France. She was so awesome, but she actually ended up getting caught halfway through her time there. She spent about three years working behind enemy lines. And whenever she got caught, you know, she ended up hiking over the Pyrenees, you know, which mind you, she has a wooden leg. Uh -huh. And then like begs to come back in because she, you know, wants to keep working. So she convinces the Americans to send her in by uh, disguising herself as an old lady. So she like dyes her hair gray, files down her teeth. What? like bulks up her frame and then comes back and keeps working. So, that is incredible. Yeah, an awesome woman. And we have, uh, she got the honor of MBE. So we have uh, her certificate on the wall, which is on loan to us from her family. And it actually, you know, was signed by George VI in 1943, but it never found its way to Virginia Hall because she was, you know, still operating undercover uh -huh. and just generally being awesome. So it didn't find its way to her family until 2006. Wow. So, and they were kind enough to uh, let us put it on display. Amazing. Um, and then we have a number of cool, uh, like, escape and evasion tools that uh -huh. folks used in World War II. A lot of, like, daggers. Razor blade compasses and <laughs> a key yep. secret compartment. I love it. Pipe dagger. You know, the things you think of when you think of, you know, Bond spy uh -huh. tools. I love these silk maps. They would sew them into jackets. That way, if you got padded down, they couldn't, you know, tell that you were carrying a map on you. Brilliant. Yeah. And so now we're in our final content gallery, which is on intelligence. And so here we talk about the Cuban Missile Crisis from an intelligence perspective and kind of how Kennedy was able to 
you know, get the information he needed to, uh, you know, feel confident in making kind of a diplomatic approach to resolving that crisis as opposed to setting off World War III. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, which spy So I? now we're in debrief. Okay. So if you scan in, we get to tell you how you performed on each of the different spy challenges and tests. Okay. And then tell you what kind of a spy you'd be. <laughs> Encryption. You're kind of bad at it. <laughs> Extremely agile. Well, no. huh? hey, all right. <laughs> Thanks for the data. They're like, you didn't even do anything. <laughs> Based on my incomplete data, I should be. This is really legit. I feel like. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, we we worked on this profiling system for about two years using all of these you know outside experts, including yeah. that former head of training for British intelligence. So it's a really in-depth profiling system. And we'll actually follow up your visit um, with a really detailed dossier so you can see like how you performed against everyone who's come through the space. Oh, wow. We tell you more about what it means to be your type of spy. My spy role. Agent handler. Agent handler. Oh, that's what Kevin got, too. So cool. So we're agent handlers. And now we're in the super secret gift shop. Exactly. Like any good museum, we invite you to our gift shop after your experience. <laughs> Except this is like a kind of a cool, I mean, I feel like a spy gift shop is like... I love our gift shop. So we have a lot of like um, things that are really an extension of the museum experience. So, well, cool. Thank you so much. This is wonderful. Um, Absolutely. We're so happy to have you Such a cool, like a very cool museum. Thank you. Yeah. It's time again for your favorite segment with Eleanor. Splat facts. Splat facts. Splat facts? Facts about spies. <laughs> wait, wait, isn't this supposed to be about like splats? Oh, it's like somebody threw you off a balcony. It's like you're in a dangerous situation and you're trying to collect intelligence and you're going to do it in the weirdest and craziest ways possible. Okay. So I feel like I am familiar with spy weapons and listening devices, just like the lipstick pistol and like... <laughs> Bill Murray hiding in a tree from that one. Did you guys ever watch that yeah. movie with like Steve Carell? Like the knot hole, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. But I looked up like weirder spy weapons and listening devices, and I have two of my favorites for you. So in the 60s, the CIA had this project called Acoustic Kitty, where they tried to use like an actual live cat as a listening device. No. They put a microphone in the cat's ear canal and just like, <laughs> and a radio transmitter on its skull That's and just sent it out amazing. into the world. But it didn't work because right, the cat because wouldn't cooperate with like, where they wanted to go. <laughs> yeah. They sunk $15 million wow. in 60s money into Acoustic Kitty. Wow. How long do yeah. cats live? Are any of these super hearing cats still around? No, they can't. Be. They were just like wearing like radio. Like, I don't think it was. Oh, it, like, they didn't, like, it was just like, like sitting modify on them. the cat. Well, if you're going to do it right and have it be undetectable, I would think you would have to. Maybe they should revisit it now, now that yeah. we. I don't progressed. think we have to because now we have Acoustic Kitty in all of our pockets. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Also, how do cats end up being like. We did the video issue. Cats are involved in the origins of videography and cats are in spy technologies. Like, why, is it, why cats? I don't know. I guess because dogs are too dumb yeah dogs flop around well dogs much. you don't have to do anything experimental you just train them yeah, yeah. well also like cats can sneak around without being That's, cats are like cats like. are pretty much the spies of animals and they're always suspicious so how would you know if they were spying that's on true. you it's true yeah so that's one the other also comes from a couple decades ago it was uh during the vietnam war u.s soldiers would leave seismometers that were inside like fake turds 
to track enemy movements. This sounds a lot like what we were talking about in our interview with our uh, the Red Sparrow writer. Oh, yeah? He said that uh, they would do dead drops in pigeons, mm-hmm. and uh, and they would stick in film, pigeons? film canisters in dead pigeons, and then they would put the dead pigeon on the side of the road. No one's going to touch a dead pigeon except That's to maybe throw it out. So as long as you got there fast enough, then you picked up the dead pigeon, took out the film canister. They're really into like gross things, I guess. Yeah. That no one. Well, I mean, it makes no sense because then nobody it. will. Yeah. 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 Speaking of the Red Sparrow, did you know that the CIA on their website does book reviews? about spy books. No. Yeah. It's called Intelligence in Public Literature and they'll like evaluate <laughs> uh, like spy novels. And this one, I think it was written by a former CIA agent, it was, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. So, but they said it was very accurate. That is amazing. Wow. Yeah. So I had fun perusing that. I think my last spat fact for you guys is even after James Bond became a household name, the British government didn't own up to the fact that they had a spy agency until 1994. Neither confirmed nor denied. That's amazing. They probably just enjoyed saying that too much. <laughs> they were like, yeah. come on, we're, we're going to keep it secret. Like, this is our thing. No. Should we call this spat facts? Is that better than spat Oh, because they wear spats? Because it is a spat between nations. Oh. That so sort of makes more sense It makes more me. sense than splat. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Although the, the turds would kind of splat. Oh, that's true. <laughs> well, all right. It's been your favorite segment. Splat spat facts. Splat spat facts. <laughs> spy facts. Splat at facts. Spy facts. Spy facts. <laughs> this is our special spy episode, as I'm sure you've noticed by now. And there's a new book that's about to come out. It's by Jason Hansen, who is a former CIA officer. Spy. Uh, well, they're all yeah, spies. They're all, they're all spies. Yeah. I mean, if you, you know. We learned. But this is called Survive Like a Spy. Real CIA operatives reveal how they stay safe in a dangerous world and how you can too. So Kevin got this book and looked through it for some really fun tips. But this one we thought that we would actually try out. You kind of have to try it. Because <laughs> you he, can't read this and not go try no, it. No, you can't. And, and he also, this guy was on Rachel Ray's show recently demonstrating this. It looks remarkably easy. So. Yeah, I'm a little concerned how easy it looked. Yeah, it's not. like they went to a commercial break and they scored and the twice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so this is a favorite spy trick is what it says, busting free when duct taped to a chair, which seems pretty useful because I feel like that's what bad guys do is they duct tape yeah. to a chair. So it says breaking out of duct tape is surprisingly easy to do. It's the most common way a criminal is going to bind your hands because duct tape is common and cheap. So, okay, before we tell you how to do this, we've got Peter Martin here. We should explain how we're going to tape. Right, because we had to look, we had to see him being taped to understand. Because if someone taped my wrist to this chair with arms on it, You're I don't not think getting this out. trick is going to work. That's the thing. Yeah, there, this is the reason we watched on Rachel Ray is because we wanted to see how this person was taped to the chair. You have to tape them around the torso, like all the way down. To the chair back. But you, but you tape their arms as well, but to the chair yeah. back. And it was a standard metal folding chair yes like in a church basement yeah right but we're using our high-tech first <laughs> tower chairs tied up in a church basement very common it happens kevin do you want to do the honors sure <laughs> <laughs> are, are someone taking video of this i mean i can't how much do you want me to do let's do four okay kevin has taped me to a chair all right so peter martin is now duct taped to a chair around his torso do? what do i do okay so it says all you need to do is lean back as far as you possibly can Got and it. in one swift and fluid motion move your head toward your knees as if you were assuming the crash position on an airplane. Are right, you ready? Yes. Yeah, let's see it. It oh, worked! What? I escaped! Wow! I'm free, guys. How has every single movie shown that this is impossible to escape? Instead of this being a how to escape, this is actually training for how to tie people up better. Yeah, how to tie people up. their wrists to the arms of the chair. So, corollary, tape somebody's wrists to the chair arms. So, I have to say, as the kidnapper in this scenario, (laughs) or the home invader, 
when I finished wrapping you up and then I was very easily able to tear off the duct tape when I reached the end, I was like, I think if I was doing this for real, I would have second thoughts right now. Right, maybe. We also, Roy has tape. extra strength duct tape that we could try. I think we should do a little I'll do roll that. reversal. Okay. All right, yeah. let's do it. All right. T-Rex duct tape? Yeah, this is ferociously strong oh, tape ferociously that I found in Roy's strong. office. ferociously uh, strong. Made in the USA. You're mm-hmm. done, Kevin. All right. Kevin's going to be strapped to an... Tape off the, off so the we're trying a different chair as well. Oh, man, look at this. Oh, yeah, you're not getting out of that. It was a huge tactical mistake to say, oh, yeah, I'll tape up the boss first and then have the boss tape me up. <laughs> the boss is like, you know what? I think I have a strategy here for how to do this I heard better. there's some extra strong tape around. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me if this – sorry if this hurts. Like pulling it against your chest. We're definitely going to have to replace Kevin now. <laughs> if only we knew about a good if place to find new candidates <laughs> for a job. We <laughs> people, I don't know. I'm hoping my who, beach body will save me. People who skim through our ads are going to have no idea what we're talking about. That's why you should always listen to the ads. Sometimes we mention them on the podcast. (laughs) Okay, so I, Peter just, he's walking around in circles, trying desperately to pull this tape around Kevin. Crushing Kevin's organs. Without crushing, Kevin looks really tight in there. That's, that's probably, do you think it's enough? I don't think the organs are crushed. What, what, I wonder what makes this tape so much stronger. I've never seen duct tape. I didn't know that that was a thing. Yeah. I'm going to be here forever. We did four rolls of T-Rex. Four any, rolls of T-Rex. Do you have any tips for escaping? Just, you know, let your, let your heart free. And you got to lean back first. Lean back. And, and then, then I... go all the way for your knees. Okay. Oh, <laughs> the T-Rex tape. He does say you He's... may need multiple, t- you may need okay. multiple tries. <laughs> also, you know what? This is not fair. Your chair is made of like a hard like a rubberized. A hard fl- I did flash. hear it I sort of. I heard it the it first hurt time. Oh. You can see it uh, starting to break on the bottom. You're yeah, making progress. Okay, ready, if I'm upstairs on. going through your sock drawer looking for your back. I've got to hurry, yeah. Oh, is this a... It's <laughs> like a really good way to get really strong abs. Maybe I got distracted with his hair products. <laughs> through those in the bathroom upstairs. Kevin's trying I think, Kevin, I think you're stuck. I'm stuck. <laughs> I don't know. It, but do you see the rip it on the is bottom? Ri- it did rip. So I don't know if this I means really I would be a better spy. I, th- or I better think this means we, or we tortured Kevin yeah, as, for, as for usual. I can get myself out. <laughs> Kevin's stuck in the podcast room forever. Just until next week when we do the escape episode. <laughs> Should we do a video of Kevin stuck in the chair? I'm sorry. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Oh, Ooh, oh I broke oh, the wait. chair. Kevin, Kevin has escaped. He Kevin broke, the, broke chair. the chair. T-Rex tape won't tear. <laughs> hard plastic chair. Whatever it takes to here. save my family. You heard it here on the most useful podcast ever. T-Rex tape will <laughs> break your chair before it'll table. break. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. See, if T-Rex wants to be an advertiser, we already know how to do Give it. Give us a call. All right. Way to go, Kevin. You escaped. For this week's testing table, we have kind of a grab bag. What we initially planned to do was get a bunch of spy stuff and spy on each other, but then it turned out we were busy and have real jobs, and also <laughs> can't really spy on each other. We can't really spy on each other. Well, we can all see each other. <laughs> yeah, thing. there's also well, not that many open s- office. There's not really that many secrets in here. I was gonna put a GPS in one of your bags until I realized that's probably not okay. Probably. Illegal. I actually <laughs> thought, but then I was like, if I got a camera, where could I put it that it wouldn't be over a line right. for people not knowing they're being <laughs> right. filmed? So, Kevin, why don't you start with your spy gear that you? Yeah, so I actually did get one spy thing, and I have to give credit credit is due. There's a show on Stars right now called Counterpart, which is one of the ten thousand spy things happening There's in so popular culture things. right now. So they sent me like a screener of it, but it came with all these spy devices. And the one I decided to test is there's no brand name on it that I can find. It's just called a Wi-Fi endoscope. 
I mean, isn't endoscopy? That's like where different. they look down they, your throat. Yeah, I mean, it looks, so I think, it looks like something you could use to do try that. It. Yeah. So, <laughs> basi- so basically, it's just like a long cable with a very thin camera at the end. So the camera is like the same diameter as the cable, which is just like the diameter of a Ethernet cord or something. Yeah. And it comes with a little box that you charge up, and it's also a Wi-Fi hotspot. Mm-hmm. So basically, you charge this thing up, you plug the camera into it, and you turn it on, and then you connect your phone to the Wi-Fi network from the little Wi-Fi hub. And then with an app on the phone, you can see what the camera sees. It has a little light. So if you put it inside something dark, you can see in there. So I don't think this is really intended necessarily for spy use. But what I decided to do this morning when we went to Spyscape was I hid it between some books on my desk. And I turned it on to see if I messed with my desk. I'm sorry, Kevin. So the camera... Sorry you saw that. The camera actually (laughs) works sort of well. Well, I didn't see it because of the limitations. (laughs) The camera works pretty well. But it has some limitations for spying. So one is that you have to have your phone connected to that Wi-Fi network, which oh, only so has couldn't. like a three-foot range. Yeah. So I oh. kept my camera at my desk. I kept my phone at my desk face down so no one could see on the screen that it was recording. So Oh, so you could come back and review the footage. Yeah, which is what I did. Which is what I did. Which is what I did. Catch and, the guy who stole your phone? Well, <laughs> well, I didn't see anything. And then I noticed that sometime while I was gone, Amy came by and put a piece of paper on my desk with the week's production <laughs> schedule. Yeah, Amy's our managing editor. And <laughs> that's her job to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Amy came by. And, and did I didn't even job. I didn't even catch her because my phone ran out of memory before. <laughs> <laughs> before. So I recorded like 13 minutes of my chair sitting still. And then after that recording ended, at some point, Amy messed with my desk, but I didn't see it. I would say that's not ideal for spying. Yeah, so not ideal for spying. But what I did realize is that I've talked about on the podcast before that I have this problem in my apartment where I can't find the studs in a wall where I want to hang a door that needs needs to be screwed into studs to be strong enough. And I realized I actually just this weekend thought I'll just drill really small holes every couple inches and see if I can find any. But with this, I'll just drill one bigger hole and I can actually stick it in because it has a light. I can look around inside the wall. I'm kind of afraid of what I'll find, but hopefully I'll <laughs> also find studs. You're basically going to do like laparoscopic wall surgery. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah. And the nice thing is this thing is so small that you don't have to drill a very big hole. I have a DeWalt scope that you can do that with, but you have to drill probably a half inch hole to get it in the wall. This is yeah, I think much this smaller is like than a that. quarter inch maybe. Yeah. Um, very cool. Good idea. Peter, you do not I have any spy some things. I spy gear. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't buy it because spy gear is expensive. Is it? Yeah. Well, well, I guess we don't know how much your your endoscope right. is. I don't, actually don't think it'd be that expensive because, I mean, the camera's still bigger than what's in our phones. Even though it's small, it's not that miniaturized. Yeah. I just found that you can put a camera in anything. Like a little remote key door opener for your car. Mm-hmm. Record you guys at 1080p. That's 90 bucks though. I wanted to spy on you, but I did not want to spy on you for this much money. Let's see. There's a, a pen that does the same thing. It's only $50. I was uh-huh. going to leave that in certain places. And I have so many plans for spying. It didn't really work out. $50? Really? Yeah. This is, a, this is for a camera pen? Yeah. The best one, though, Hidden Spy Camera Weather Station. Because that is useful. It tells you the like, humidity outside, the temperature. That's a useful thing to have in your house anyway. And then it catches people when they come in. So it's like a security camera weather built station. into your weather station that a lot of people already have anyway. Okay, right. and it makes like more that. sense than putting like a teddy bear on the mantle. And how yeah. much? Or how like much a fake key cost? fob that you're going to yeah. carry around that doesn't do anything. That one's 150. Okay. So they also have an AC adapter that has a camera built into it. There's a lot of stuff. That was the one I thought would probably get. It looks the least just suspicious. Also, who pays attention to an AC adapter? Right. I don't. And there's one. This is only $7, so I should have bought it. But I don't understand how it's for spies. It's a pen that shocks you. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, were you going to shock us with a pen? Definitely. I still might. Is it when you you click it, it shocks you? I think so. And it just sounds like loads of fun. But (laughs) they present it as if you think someone's trying to steal your pen. Do you have like a hand buzzer, too? (laughs) 
But if someone's trying to take your like USB pen with uh, all your files on it and they think this is it, and then they get a little surprise. <laughs> so our initial plan with this was to figure out who is the best spy in the office. But I think it's clearly obvious that Kevin's the best spy. <laughs> um, because Kevin actually tried to spy on us. It's true. Yeah. Would you buy your crazy if you endoscope price. if you knew how much it was? Or how much would you pay for it? Well, as a spy, I wouldn't because of the obvious limitations. But I think it's actually a pretty useful little camera. So I think like in this stud finding situation, yeah. if I had thought of it on my own and thought, oh, if I can find a camera like that, I'll get it to look with. I think I'd pay like 50 bucks because I'd assume I'd use it again at some point. How much is the DeWalt one? I think it's 200. So oh, you're... so yeah, 50 bucks. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm sure there's going to be other things it'll be useful for. Like we've also been having a mouse problem, which I think it would be helpful oh. to see. <laughs> No, no, no. Yeah, like to help. look and see if there's more holes where they're getting in, like behind the stove or something. Oh, uh, yeah. Like making eye contact. No, no, not trying to spy <laughs> on the mouse. That's our show, y'all. The most useful podcast ever is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Brandcasters Inc. at www.brandcastingu.com. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics editor in chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes. While you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. And if you want to read more about life hacks of all sorts, you should check out our website, popularmechanics.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to the print and digital edition of Popular Mechanics magazine for just $13.99 a year. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening.